Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We're excited to be together again. Uh, we're continuing today. Now, we are going to attempt something today. Now, just because we're attempting it doesn't mean we're going to pull it off. Uh, but we're going to uh, continue our walk through 1 Corinthians today. And today, chapter 8 is very short, uh, and it really focuses, focuses on just you know kind of one main issue. Uh, and I'm going to skip 9 and then try to pick up 10 today. So watch that. Uh, because 8 and 10, Paul is really talking about a lot of the same thing. Uh, so we're going to try to get uh, chapter 8 and chapter 10. So go ahead and turn there uh, with your Bible or something with your Bible on it. Uh, and I do want to give you some reminders of some things that are going on. First of all, let's just talk man churches from themanchurch.com. Uh, do have one that has been rescheduled, First Baptist Troy, Alabama, Rich Wingo. That was supposed to be coming up on October 10th or 11th. Uh, it, has been, it has been rescheduled, so that's been canceled. They're looking for a new date. So if you had that on your calendar, Rich will not be in Troy in the month of October. Brian Gunn will be in Warrior, Alabama. He'll be speaking at Man Church at Crossroads Church, and uh, that's right outside of Birmingham. Uh, they are continuing the men's discipleship strategy. A brand new one we've added to the list. Now the church at Liberty Park uh, will be doing the Man Church discipleship strategy. Uh, on October the 17th, Scott Goroski will be speaking at the church at Liberty Park. Uh, Vestavia Hills, Alabama, that's in Birmingham. Uh, coming up on the 24th of October, I'll be at Mangum Baptist Church in Mangum, Louisiana. I'm already excited about the food. Uh, so I'll be there. They've been doing the men's discipleship strategy. Uh, looking forward to being there on October the 28th uh, for the month of October. Westview Baptist Church in Op, Alabama. Scott Dawson will be speaking at that man, man church, and they continue the discipleship strategy as well. Uh, just as far as me speaking, uh, I'll be at Pine Belt Baptist Association in Petal, Mississippi. About 50 churches will be coming to their gathering of their association. I'm honored on October the 17th to be speaking there, uh, so make plans to be with us. And then uh, to the men of Green, Green Street Baptist Church in High Point, North Carolina, I'll be coming up for your men's conference for the weekend, be doing some sessions on Friday night and on Saturday morning. Uh, so if you are in High Point, North Carolina with Green Street Baptist Church, are you just somewhere around there and you'd like to come out and be part of that, I'd love to see you there. So all those can be found uh, either one or two places. If it's conferences or me just speaking, that'll be at uh, BurgessMinistries.com. Uh, if it's a man church and you just want to find about man churches only, go to themanchurch.com, click on events. So there you go. Let's open in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into the book of Corinthians today. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these opportunities that you have afforded us. We have rolled out this men's discipleship strategy, and, and we are yet to have a day that we're not under a pandemic. Uh, so, Lord, the, the things that you continue to do, even in sometimes adverse conditions and obstacles to overcome, uh, we, we are thankful for everything you're teaching us, even through uh, as, as this uh, pandemic continues. Uh, and, Lord, may we, may we realize that this is not a world that is out of control. Uh, it's a world that's fallen because of its sin, but it is, it is a world that is still under your control. Uh, so may we always look to you for what you're teaching, and may our goal not to, to say, hey, well, we'll do anything we have to do to, to preserve our life. No, may we, we have that attitude that you called us to when you said if we're going to be your disciples, that we deny ourselves, we pick up our cross, and anybody who is obsessed with preserving their life will only lose it. It's those that are willing to give up our life, meaning we give ourselves to you, uh, that will retain it. Uh, so walk with us today, Lord, as we unpack your powerful word and we glean everything that you uh, inspired the Apostle Paul to write to us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so 1 Corinthians, uh, if you know the background, church at Corinth, uh, Paul planted this church. Uh, it's a church that, uh, that was riddled with, with sin. Paul was not thrilled about this. Um, uh, we, we, uh, my pastor even mentioned last week, uh, this is not, we call it 1 Corinthians, or as uh, the former president called it, 1 Corinthians. Uh, we... Uh, this is not necessarily the first letter to the church at Corinth. It probably wasn't. We, we, we never found the first letter. But it's the first letter that we have, and then there's a second letter that we may or may not get into. Uh, I'm praying through that. But this is a letter that was written about um, you know, what was going on in the church. But now, starting last week, he's transitioned to where he's answering their specific questions. He, he's had the things that, he had that, that, that were on his heart. He's dealt with that. And now he is answering their specific question. And the specific question we'll start with in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is, can Christians eat meat that have been sacrificed to idols? And I know we deal with this all the time. <laughs> we, 
We don't, but uh, but we deal with things that are like this. So, but but here, let me let me kind of set the background for you on what's going on because this is a much wider topic, and that's the reason why I want to go ahead and pick up <clears throat> if uh, if time allows, pick up chapter ten because what Paul is really talking about for us today uh, in chapter eight and in chapter ten, and he talks about it a little bit in chapter nine, and we'll pick that up uh, next week, Lord willing. But what he's really talking about is Christian liberty. Uh, I, I would I would suggest uh, Brent Crow uh, is a, you know a powerful brother in Christ. I've had the the pleasure of of interviewing him on the show and getting to know him a little bit. My wife Sherry's had a chance to serve with him with SLU, uh, Student Leadership University. And Brent Crow wrote a book one time called Chasing Elephants. Uh, and and what it is is it talks about these gray areas. Uh, once we've been redeemed, you know we've been saved by grace through faith. And we've been freed from the burden of the law. Uh, but Jesus said, I didn't come to, to remove the law. I've come to fulfill the law. So we certainly aren't held. We're held to a standard that Jesus provides. Uh, we certainly are called to a holiness and we're called to obedience. But many times we ask the question, well, how much liberty do I have as a Christian? You know, just because something's not sin, is it still something I should be doing? Uh, and so we're going to talk about this a little bit uh, because that's what Paul's taking on. Here, here's the deal and why this was being talked about. In, 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 the, in the city of Corinth, uh, there, there, were, there were two sources of meat. One was, I'm headed to the butcher shop. I'm going to the market. Very expensive. Well, there was a deal over at the temple of these pagan gods. They were sacrificing food to these fake gods. And when they were done with it, they would sell it at a much cheaper price. So what was happening in the church at Corinth is some of the newer Christians, many who had been delivered from the pagan uh, religions, they were looking at some of the more mature Christians who are a little further down the road in their maturation, uh, and they were going to get this meat. And so the newer Christians that had been delivered from paganism, they were like, hey, they, that, they, that, they shouldn't be eating anything that's been sacrificed to, to false gods. And so they wrote to Paul about this and said, hey, uh, what, what, what should we do about this? So Paul's going to take that on because here's the thing. Just because you may be further along in your faith than a newer follower of Jesus, and just because you have knowledge, it, sh it should always be balanced with love. Don't be condescending or sanctimonious about somebody who maybe feels convicted about something that you think shouldn't be any big deal. Uh, you know, that we don't. We don't really have the right to offend our brothers and sisters of the faith, no matter how free we may think we are. And so this is really going to be the heart of what he's talking about because if you look at the, the, the next uh, chapters we're going to go through, 8, 9, and 10, so, so 8 really is trying to teach us what we're going to get here. Knowledge must be balanced by love, which I just said. And then 10, if we get to it today, and I think we will, experience must be balanced by caution. Be careful. Be careful about your freedom in Christ. It's not to be abused. And, and so, um, so, so this was really what was going on. Uh, and so Paul has, has called them to three really important factors. He says, okay, I'll take this on. Uh, verse 1, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess his knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. So you see what he's saying. He's saying, look, you, you stronger Christians, you may have a lot of knowledge, but, but don't let that puff you up and make you arrogant. You know, Just because you have knowledge, don't you ever think you've arrived. Uh, boy, you ever seen people make that mistake? I think one of the biggest mistakes that we all make in our, our maturation of the faith is to ever think you've arrived. You know, you know, two of the most dangerous words that, that I find holding each other accountable is these two horrible words. I think I'm good. Uh, you know, I, I have no concern at all. I'm, I really, I, I think I'm rolling along pretty well. Uh, so we should, you know, you, you see Paul even at the end of this second letter in Corinthians we have in 2 Corinthians. What is he saying at the end? You need to examine yourself to even see if you're of the faith. Uh, meaning I don't, I don't care what, what experiences you may have had or things that may have happened. Don't ever stop examining yourself. Paul says he's working out his salvation in the book of Philippians with fear and trembling. Uh, we have not arrived. 
He said, I press on, straining for the goal. Uh, so sanctification is a process that never ends. We have never learned everything we need to know about God. And you know what? I think there may be things, I know there's been things in my life that at one time in my faith I didn't think were a big deal. And the, the more I grew in my faith, God convicted me, no, I, do, I don't like that. You, you really don't need to be doing that. And I thought, wow, I didn't know that before. You know why? I didn't know as much about him. So, so this is what Paul is warning against. But then look what he says. He says, if anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. And, and he's saying, look, it, it, you better quit being puffed up about you thinking that these new Christians think, you think it's silly that they don't think they should be eating that meat. And uh, he said, so listen, you need to, you need to be sure that, uh, that you don't think it's silly. These weaker Christians, they care about this. And, and, what, and, what, the, and what you're saying to them is that, look, how in the world can meat be defiled by something that doesn't even exist? And he says, be careful that you don't talk down to them. If you want to try to reason with them about that, uh, here's the problem. When it comes to us talking to each other and, and, and discipling each other, logic isn't always the answer. You know, and these Christians were saying, well, look, I'm just going to tell them straight up. How can something be defiled by something that ain't even real? And they say, well, that ought to be enough. That's not always enough. You don't believe that? Any of you, any of you out there have children? Any of you in here had children that were small? You ever tried to just tell them logically they shouldn't be afraid of the dark? Sometimes logic's not enough. Hey, there's nothing in here. Uh, it's, it's, it's ridiculous for you to be afraid of the dark. Did that solve it? No. It, it takes time to walk with them through it to get them to the point that they're not afraid of the dark. Their, their fear of the dark is usually unfounded, and it may be silly, but just telling them that is not enough. You need to lovingly try to work with them through it. So he's basically saying quit barking at them about how silly you think this is because the, you know what you need to, he's trying to teach them the difference between being puffed up and building up. I'd write that down. The difference between being puffed up and building up. It may very well be that we are correct that somebody's making a big deal about something that shouldn't be a big deal. But our attitude on how we try to correct that is paramount. It's, it's so important how we go about it. And Paul is saying, some of you that are the more mature Christians, your attitude about this toward these, they call them weaker Christians, what they mean by that, just immature. And he says, your attitude to them uh, is the wrong attitude. And then he tells them the attitude that they should have. Uh, look at verses 3 through 6. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods, little g, in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many little g, gods, and many little l, lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, that whom all are all things and through whom we exist. So he's saying, why don't you, instead of talking down to them and tell them it's stupid, why don't you sit down with them and remind them of this? Let's talk about what we believe and why we believe it. You know, have you, I've had somebody say something to me before, and of course I said many things like this when I lacked spiritual maturity, and there's still things that 10 years from now I'm going to feel silly about what I said as I continue to learn, but I've had people that helped me, and I would say something that was wrong, and you know what they would say? Well, hey, you know what? That, that's a good point, but I'm, you know, I'm not sure you can back that with Scripture, so let me, let me show you this. And they'd flip through Scripture, and they would say, well, really what it says is this, this, and this. And I would go, oh. What they didn't say is, you're wrong. That's stupid. You don't have that right. They would simply lovingly correct me and say, well, let me help you with that. So what, what, what Paul is saying is, if you really love God and, and you know you're known by God, then you'll love these people. You won't be condescending to them. And just simply remind them, you know, that, hey, you know, these gods don't really exist. Uh, remind them that we believe there's only one true God, remind them that they may be saying this is a Lord and this is Lord, but we know there's only one Lord, Jesus Christ, and use it as an opportunity to teach them and to bring it even to a place of worship as opposed to talking down to them. Remember what we said, and we've talked about this in here. I'm putting my fingers up as pillars. These are pillars. You see these pillars? Now, the society that we live in, which is 99% wrong, the, the society that we live in wants to tell you that one of these pillars is more important than the other. Love is, is a much more powerful pillar than truth. Or some say, no, 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 no. Truth 
is the highest pillar over love. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says they're equal. Truth and love have, are equal pillars. You cannot have love without truth, but you cannot have truth without love. And if you have truth without love, it comes across as condescending and sanctimonious. So what he's saying is correct them, but correct them with love, not with an attitude. Okay? And uh, don't talk down to them. You, you, I know as men, and I'm sure women feel the same way, but if you want to send a man in the wrong direction, talk down to him. Oh, man, we all hate to be talked down to. Uh, and, I, and a lot of that's pride, but I'm just telling you straight up, if you want the most out of a, of a, of a male, don't talk down to him. Uh, it, it will get you the, the wrong response. So you cannot, this is a great one too, truth without love is brutality. Write this down. This is a good one. Truth without love is brutality, but love without truth is hypocrisy. If you don't have love, when you're telling someone the truth, you're not doing it because you're defending God or you care about them. You're doing it because you just want to be right. So remember, so truth without love is brutality, but uh, love without any truth is hypocrisy, meaning I'm just, I'm just patronizing you. I don't really love you because I don't love you enough to tell you the truth. Uh, I'm a hypocrite. I'm pretending to love you by lying to you and refusing to tell you the truth. We, we should tell people the truth. And how about this is another one. And boy, I knew this when I was immature in the faith. You cannot force feed immature believers. You know, sometimes we think, I'm going to make a correction today, and by the time we're done with this conversation, you're going to be a giant spiritually. No, if somebody is spiritually immature, it takes time. And you can't cram and fire hose them and force feed them. That, that does not work. All right, so the next thing that he talks about, he, so he's given the strategy. The next thing through uh, verses 17 uh, through 13 is he's talking about this conviction or our conscience uh, that, that we are dealing with. And, and listen to what he says. He says, however, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But, now don't miss this, he says, but, Take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who, who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged? But if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols, and so by your knowledge this weak person is then destroyed. The brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. You see what he's talking about? What, what's your priority here? What, what, do you, what are you trying to accomplish? Are you just trying to be right? Are you really trying to, to make sure that you don't do anything that causes somebody else to stumble? Whether you're free to do it or not is irrelevant. I, I would write that down because I see a lot of this right now, especially... Love my young brothers. I love them. But I'm going to tell you, there, there's some arrogant young people of the church these days, and they can't wait to show you how free they are. But what I have to keep correcting them on, you're not free to offend me. You don't have that freedom. So we're thinking, I know everybody's thinking, it. one of the things that we may not be dealing with idols that were offered to, to, to false gods in, in your American society, you might, but, but, but mostly you prob there probably isn't many places Hang around, they're coming. But there probably aren't many places where your neighborhood has a temple to some idol and people you know, put, put food there and you can get it for cheap. You probably don't deal with that. But what you may be dealing with are things like alcohol. There it is. You can just feel the hush, can't you? Uh, he went there. Yeah, I'm going to go there because this probably applies to modern day to alcohol more than it does food. Uh, because what you see here is somebody saying, well, you know what, I think you're stupid to think that Jesus drank grape juice. I'm just going to tell you that right now. And you're stupid for not drinking any alcohol at all because I just think that's stupid. Well, that's the wrong attitude because for that person, that person may say, well, I'll tell you one thing that I'll never uh, commit the sin of drunkenness because I hear this all the time. So you go out like drunkenness isn't a sin? Well, of course it's a sin. So you, you, you're sure that every time you drink alcohol, you never get drunk. Well, I, I, I have self-control. I, 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 I have the freedom to do this. Well, you don't have a freedom to offend somebody who doesn't drink. You don't have that freedom. If you sit down at somebody's table 
And that, that person does not consume alcohol because they've consecrated themselves and said, I will not touch alcohol. You don't know whether that person's been an alcoholic. You don't know whether that person just feels, feels conviction that they should not have anything to do with alcohol because they consider that to be them consecrating themselves as holy, that they know they'll never get drunk if they never drink it. Maybe they're just making a commitment. And it may be a commitment that you say, well, that's not necessary. But it's still their commitment, and for them it is the right commitment. You do not have the right to sit down and try to show how free you are and try to cause conflict by drinking alcohol in front of these people and by ordering it knowing it's going to get a rise out of them. I see people do this, and I'm going to tell you something. That's sin, and that's what he's saying. The alcohol may not be sin for you to drink that in moderation, but the sin is the attitude you have by ordering it. Now, that is sin. Because what you're trying to do is to make this person uncomfortable so they can engage you in the conversation so you can tell them they're stupid for not drinking. And you don't have any idea. Look, guys, I told you all the story the time that I, you know, because, you know, my struggle uh, has been being sure that I'm not a glutton. My struggle is more with food than alcohol. Now, in my past, I had a struggle with alcohol. And, and you know, and, and praise God, I was delivered, delivered from it. But my struggle is, is overeating. And so I had a... Uh, a guy come down that I was doing some ministry with. He came uh, from uh, uh, Washington, and uh, we, we went to Washington State. So I took him out to a meeting three because he ain't never been to the South. And do you remember this story? And uh, some of you have heard it. And, and, hey, and he was not overweight at all. But, buddy, he started ordering. When, when the woman came up, because I took him to one of those places where they call you sugar and honey, because you got to go there, right? And, and he said, she said, sugar, you want a piece of pie? He said, oh, I'd love some pie. And he said, and she said, what do you got? She named about five of them. He said, I'll take one of each. And I thought, uh-oh. And I look at the guy with him. The guy's looking at me like he wanted to choke me. So he gets up and goes to the bathroom. He goes, do you realize he used to weigh over 400 pounds? And I said, what? He goes, yes. He goes, you might as well be ordering alcohol for an alcoholic. He goes, this guy has struggled with his weight, and he finally has defeated. He's lost 200-something pounds. And, 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 here, and I was like, I didn't know. I didn't know. So here I was. I mean, I'm ordering pies. And let me tell you, he really took the fried okra. But 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 what but 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 what I'm saying is I didn't know, you know what I mean. So so for him, I was really putting him in a bind, and and so this this is one of those things that 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 he's trying to say. And he says the way people come under conviction may depend on how strong they are in the faith. He's saying sometimes people don't come under conviction because you're not strong enough yet in the faith for this to convict you. And he says so the more spiritual knowledge that we know and act on, the stronger the conviction of the Holy Spirit becomes. Have you noticed that? I have. My sensitivity to sin now is, is, is 20-fold what it was even 10 years ago. And, and I, I, I assume that's going to continue uh, as I become more and more sanctified. So he says, you, you need, he, he, said, he said, remember, there are some people that are just babies, and they have to be guarded. He said, now there are some people, they're not babies, they just refuse to grow. I've been around these people, haven't you? They, they've claimed to be a Christian for 30 years, and they don't know anything. Well, that's not, that's different. That's not somebody new to the faith. That's somebody who refuses to grow. That's a different animal. Uh, and by the way, a much more frustrating animal. Um, but he says some of them stay weak because they are afraid of the freedom of, of Christ. He said, so you have some people that don't grow because they really don't, they have no desire to grow. They think they've done enough not to go to hell. Some are just babies of the faith. He said, now, when you're dealing with babies of the faith, a lot of times they're real, you know how you just say almost, they're, they're almost, um, they're real, real cautious and they're very, real fearful about sinning because they're so new to the faith. So they may be being a little more legalistic early on. I was like this. When I first became a follower of Jesus, man, I was ready to tell, I was ready to tell everybody they should, we shouldn't be doing it. I was always saying, we shouldn't do that, don't do that, don't do that, shouldn't do that because I was, it was a newfound uh, you know, faith, but it, but I didn't understand the freedom. You know, I didn't understand that this is, I need to settle down a little bit and start growing and figuring out all these things. And he says, so remember, when you're dealing with, with, with people who are new to the faith, we don't need to take our freedom if we have more knowledge of it and cause them to stumble because he says, look, in verse 7, he says what? They're easily defiled. You, you may, like I did the guy with the food, you may introduce them, or maybe somebody who's had a problem with alcohol. Yeah, don't deny yourself alcohol. You go ahead and have a glass of wine, or you can have one beer if you want to. And you didn't know he'd been delivered from alcoholism. You didn't know that alcohol for this person was a real problem. And here you are, you know, being cavalier about your freedom, and you've caused this person to be defiled. 
See, Paul said, some of these people just came out of paganism. You don't need to walk them back to that by telling, no big deal, go back over to the temple. I'm sure you'll be fine. You don't have to deny yourself that meat. Well, for them, maybe they do. So he says in verse 7, they're easily defiled. Look at verse 12. He says they're easily wounded. Look at, look at verse 12. Uh, he, he says this is the problem with, with those that are new to the faith. Thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it's weak, you sin against Christ. He said maybe it was good for them to be convicted of this. And you're going in there and say, oh, you may feel bad about that. Don't feel bad about that. He goes, you may cause a wound to them that now pulls that Satan has victory over them. They're easily wounded. They can't handle the responsibility of the freedom yet. And then he says, as we know in verse 13, they're also easily offended. He says, therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. Can you make that kind of commitment? Paul said, I am so, so committed not to harm somebody else. I really will deny myself anything if it bothers the other person. I don't care. If somebody says, I'd rather you not eat meat of any kind, then you know what? When I'm around them, I won't. I'm not constantly telling them, no, I'm going to do whatever I want to in your presence because you, you being offended by that is stupid and that you shouldn't be offended and I'm going to do whatever I want to do because I'm free in Christ. You're not free to offend somebody. You're not. And he says the stronger Christians, it is sin if a stronger Christian harms a weaker Christian by the way that we live. It's sin. So we do not have the right to do that. Not free to offend. And he says, so we don't do anything that may cause the weaker brother or sister to fail. And, you know, and you, but, but here's the other thing. We are there to help them, and, and, but we are not there to pamper them. That's different. You know, I, I, I can't stand when somebody acts like they care about something and then the way they care it out, it's really that they're patronizing them, they're not really helping them. It's not about pampering. It's not about letting anything go. It's not about that. But it is about helping them. We are free, but we are not free to offend. Okay, so that's kind of chapter 8 in a nutshell. So let's go to chapter 10. Experience must be balanced by caution. Don't be overconfident in your ability to overcome temptation. Now, now we got to watch us. Chapter 8 was about how we affect other people. This is about saying, I'll tell you one thing, I've gotten so strong, I can, I can, I can, be, a, I can be a sin daredevil, and I'll be fine. And uh, Paul is warning against this. And here's what he says, uh, verses uh, uh, 1 through 4. First, he warned that privileges were not a guarantee of success. Just just because you got a good testimony doesn't mean you're going to finish well. Can Can I look into this camera and tell this? You know, we did a Bible study here. You can go back and pick it up called Finishing Strong by Steve Farrar. When you look at Scripture, do you know how many people finish well? Not many. And I love that Steve challenges and says, why do you think you're going to? And this is really what Paul's talking about. He says in verses uh, 1 through 4, because remember, Israel had been delivered uh, just like us, but many of them had, had fallen back into sin. God provided water through a rock, and, and you're going to see this analogy that Paul uses about who's our rock now. Listen to this. For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, talking about God leading the children of Israel, and all passed through the sea, being delivered from the slavery of Pharaoh, and all were baptized into Moses into the, in, in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. Steve, she was talking about this. And all drank the same spiritual drink. Remember, this is all what God was providing, the manna, the quail, uh, the water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Remember, the, who's, who's the whole Bible about? Jesus. So he says when they're going over and, and, and that rock's producing water, that's a foretelling of the rock to come that will produce what? Living water. Ooh. So, so he says, so they drank. He said, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. We knew that. It, look, how many times? I love this. I, I use this analogy with my family all the time. When we used to go travel and we had all the five kids and everybody was there. Everybody's complaining. I said, this is like Moses leading the children of Israel. All y'all do is complain. We're, hey, the manna's great. We're sick of manna. Is this all we're ever going to eat? What about some quail? You know, and, and so uh, you, know, you take us out here in the wilderness, I guess, to die. We've been better off just to stay back in slavery. And so, all, you, hey, it got so bad. Y'all realize, if you know Scripture, Moses at one point asked God to kill him. Will you please just kill me? Uh, and so what we refer to here at the show in our family is the kill me stage. 
You're just so frustrated. You just say, God, could you just kill me? My life would be better to be with you. And Moses finally said, I'm so tired of these people. Would you do me a favor and kill me? And, uh, of course, so, so he's talking about that they, even though they had been delivered, look at the analogy in the New Covenant, even though they had been delivered from the slavery, most of them became such pitiful, pathetic, ungrateful people, they fell away. Okay? So he said, now, he said, uh, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Look at verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. So, so that's important. Uh, so he, now, now we get through verses 5 through 12. He says, God's beginnings do not guarantee good ending. And this is a warning from Paul. Look, 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 at verse, uh, look, look at verse 6. Now, these things took place as examples to us that we might not desire evil as they did, do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. Remember that? God got so 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 angry at their behavior and their decadence and their sexual morality, he just, 23,000 of them dead. Dead. And so he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Do you remember this? When God released the poisonous snakes and 23,000 people died because of the way they acted and then he had Moses to take the snake and hold it up and everybody that looked upon it would be delivered. Kind of, kind of looks like a cross going up. So, so anyway, he said, um, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Verse 10, he said, we must not grumble uh, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Don't, don't, don't ever think you've, you've arrived. Don't ever think that you have done enough that there's no way that anything could happen now. When I look at the downfall, I literally sent out a letter today to the entire staff of themanchurch.com because of something that, that I experienced out on the road and that, that God allowed me to see. And basically what I was allowed to see was that don't ever forget that the adversary will destroy this ministry like that and he would love to do it. So don't take the attitude of Peter. Remember this? Jesus walks up to Peter and says, Hey, Peter, heads up. Satan has petitioned my father and he wants to sift you like wheat, and I pray that your faith may not fail. And what did Peter say? Ain't going to happen to me. I'll never let you down. And, and Jesus said, yes, you will. Now, praise God that Peter's test then was a failure. And praise God, on the other side of the cross, Jesus came back and restored him. We talked about it in here. But at that particular moment, for us to learn, Peter said to Jesus himself, Bring it on. Satan sifts me. I ain't going to fail. And he was wrong. So if we have this attitude, bring it on, whatever it is. No, what we should say is, Lord Jesus, please. Please, may, may I cling to you. In every single ministry that I have seen fail, I see two things. And some of these didn't surprise me. Some of them greatly surprised me. But I still saw the two things. The leader, the, the face of the ministry began to surround himself or herself with people who were enamored with them. At one time, they had people around them who held them accountable. I guess those people got on their nerves, and they, they left from being people who hold them accountable, and they became fans. Oh, you're great. You're wonderful. We love you. Oh, we keep telling you how great you are. You know why? We kind of like being around here, and we don't lose our jobs. Okay, so they didn't. They, the accountability left them, and then they surrounded themselves with people who were enamored with them. Second, they lost the reality of their own potential for depravity. They thought, I'll, I'll never fail. I won't be trapped in this. And Satan and the adversary just laughs and says, that's exactly what we were waiting on. Let me tell you something. If I walk out from the lordship and the authority of Jesus, and this may make you think less of me, and that's fine, but I don't want, I don't want to be a liar too. It's just the truth. 
I know, I know my flesh. I've seen when it used to run things. It's not dead yet because I'm still alive. Now, my spirit's alive, and if I feed my spirit, it always defeats the flesh. The flesh doesn't win like homecoming games anymore, but it's still there. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 7. If I decide to step out from the authority of Christ for even a moment, I am capable of anything. And all the things that God has given me responsibility over can come crumbling down like that. Because all this ministry that any of us have is about is Jesus. It ain't about us. And when we start thinking it's about us and, the, hey, the kingdom of God just cannot be advanced without me. Like I've told you all a thousand times, the things that he has given me responsibility over, I don't even think I was his first choice. He, he says, let me use somebody that knows he can't do it. But if I ever get to the point that I think I can without him, really the things we're seeing right now is because of the... The things I'm doing. You know what? Look for me to, to embarrass Jesus pretty soon when that attitude creeps in. I've seen it over and over again. And this is exactly what Paul is warning us about. Don't you ever think that you have arrived. Just because you've started well in your faith does not mean you're going to finish well. Have we seen that? Over and over again. And we should live in a healthy fear that we don't do anything to sin against God. What, what always stops revival, either in a community, in a country, in a church, in a, in a nation, uh, revival is always stopped by the same thing. Personal revival, sin. It always is. It's the same thing every time. Our study of the Calvary Road, Roy Hesher. So he's saying that, that, that this is where some of you, I know, you're thinking, is Paul suggesting, Rick, is Paul suggesting that someone can lose their salvation? Different commentators say different things. I know different, uh, different uh, denominations say different things. But here's what we know. Paul's warning against it. This is what we know. Now, here's what is undeniable. Paul is absolutely saying that if you fall and you drift, you've lost your reward. For sure. And he's also saying that if you do this and you think you've arrived and you start sinning against God, his wrath is coming on you. He's going to take you out. We've seen that over and over again. It's not, how many times do you think when you see these moral failures and they finally go public? Don't I just think in my mind, God tried. He kept hoping they would just admit it on their own. He kept hoping they would repent and come forward, and they never did. And what does he do? He takes them down. Let me tell you something. When you start saying that you represent the Lord God Almighty and you're living a double life, he's going to get you. And, if he, and sometimes the way he gets you is he just turns you over to the adversary and says, have at him. And down they go. I, you know, he's, he's patient. Boy, he, he's long-suffering. We need to be thankful for that. But that doesn't mean he never gets to the end of it. What, what does he say in the prophets? I will not be mocked. And I, I love what he's saying. Do they, not, do they not know I see what they're doing? Do, I, do they think I can't see them blaspheming the altars? Do you think I don't see them going after other gods? They think I don't see this? And you think I'm just going to keep letting this go? And this is what Paul is warning us against. And I, this, this was a great thing I saw when someone said, just because the law has been fulfilled in Christ, it was one thing to sin against the law. That was bad. But you know what's worse? To sin against grace. The sin against the law is one thing, but there's a higher, higher level of evil, and that is to sin against grace. Because as Jesus said in Matthew 11, talking to Bethsaida, Capernaum, and he's talking to, um, and I forget the, the third one, Chorazin, I think maybe, and he said, these are the three cities where I did the most of my miracles. He said, if Sodom, Tyre, Sidon, all these nations that were destroyed because of their wickedness, if they had seen what you three cities have seen, they would have repented in ashes and dust. So how much worse will it be for you on the day of judgment than for them? Because you should have known better. You've sinned against God sending you grace. He showed you redemption, and you rejected it. So that's what he's talking about. So Paul's third warning. God can uh, enable us to overcome temptation if we heed his word. So let's look at um, verse 13. 
This is, by the way, we're getting to some verses now. You know, there's a lot of verses in the Bible. We've done our list of those that are completely misinterpreted and used in a terrible way. You know, the famous, I can, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, it's on run-through signs as if somehow that Paul's talking about, God's going to give us victory. No, what he's saying is God provides the strength for me to endure whatever I'm suffering. That, that's the proper interpretation of that verse. Well, here again, you ever heard this? God will never put more on you than you can handle. You ever heard that? that? No, no. If God never put more on me than I can handle, why do I need God? No, God, God never puts more on us than he can handle. That's not what these verses are saying. These verses are saying stop making excuses for your sin. That's what these verses are saying. So here you'll hear them, and you've heard these misused so many times. Um, so anyway, he says um, in verse 12, Therefore let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Then 13, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide a way out of escape that you may be able to endure it. This does not say that God never allows anything to happen to you uh, that's more than you can handle. I can list many things in my life that were more than I can handle. That is not what these verses are about. And anybody who tells you that is an idiot. We'll see now, validated chapter 8. They're a person who needs to be helped. They're a person who needs to be helped. So anyway, uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Jesus, sorry, Paul. Uh, but anyway, they're a person who needs to be helped. They're a person who needs to be lovely corrected. Lovingly corrected. That's right. What, what, they're say, what, what Paul is saying here is you can't make an excuse for your sin. He says, if you belong to Jesus and you have the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no temptation that comes into your life that's, not strong, that's stronger than God. If you go and sin, you wouldn't sin because you wanted to. James talks about this. He says, quit blaming stuff on the devil. That's just you. The devil can't be everywhere. He doesn't, have, he doesn't say, I'll tell you one thing, i got to go stop that Rick Burgess today. No, now there's, there's, there's adversaries and there's a third of the angels and, and there's spiritual darkness. But James tells us and Paul tells us most of the sin we commit has nothing to do with the devil. And it certainly doesn't have to do with the inability of God to, to deliver us from it. We sin because we want to. It's our flesh. We just give in and we're not feeding our spirit. We, we sin because we love sin. And, and we sin because we love to be pleased and, and be pleasured for a momentary time. And so what he's saying is don't blame God for your sin because we know that God tests us. That's back to the misinterpretation of these verses. He absolutely tests us. I can give you so many verses about that. Uh, 1 Peter 1, uh, uh, chapter 1, verse 6 and 7, And this you rejoice, though for a little while you have been grieved by various trials to test the genuineness of your faith. God tests, God tests Job. God tests Paul. Uh, he's always, or your faith will be tested. Adrian Rogers said that this, this morning as I was driving into work, he said any faith that refuses to be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. Uh, so, so he absolutely tests us, but he does not tempt us. We are tempted by Satan. We are tempted by our flesh. And if you belong to Jesus, he is stronger. He that is in you is stronger than he that is in the world. You ever heard that before? And this is what Paul's talking about. If you are sinning, it's not because God is so weak. He just, he just couldn't, he couldn't come, he couldn't intervene. He said he never allows you to be tempted above, above what, uh, what he can deliver you from. So there is no sin you can make an excuse for. You can't say to God, you just don't understand. No, what he says is, I, I could have delivered you from the sin. You just chose it. So, so he says, if you have become lofty and thinking you're so spiritually mature that you can go out there and be a sin daredevil, he says, look, God, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above, uh, beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he also provides you a way of escape and that you may be able to endure it. Can I tell you this? Every major sin in my life, God always gave me an out. I just didn't take it. I, I can literally remember sitting at a red light and going, if I turn right, I know where I'm going. If I would just turn left and go home, this, this wouldn't happen. And the Lord sitting there saying, you know, I'm giving you a left here. You could just turn left and go home. And if you would turn left and go home, it wouldn't happen. And you know what? Many times with the flesh, I said, I think I'll turn right. 
And you know what that meant? I still don't think you're better than this. But, but, but see, now I turn left and go home because I've discovered he's better than any sin I would have committed. Amen? So he, he, he talks about this. So now in 14, let's look. So let's, let's be sure we get that right, and I apologize for what I shouldn't have said then. Uh, but but he, says, he says that we have to understand uh, that, um, that there is no sin that is stronger than this. Freedom must be balanced by responsibility. We have freedom in Christ, but we are not free to harm um, you know, God and to embarrass God. So, um, so we've talked about this over and over again. So let's, let's now let's go to 14. Therefore, my beloved, free from idolatry, flee from it. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing, uh, the, the, the cup that we bless is not a participation in the blood of Christ. The bread that we break is not the participation in the body of Christ. He's asking them, is that not what we believe? He says, so when we sit down for the Lord's Supper, we take the cup, we bless it. He goes, is this not participating in the blood of Christ? Jesus said, yes, it is. And he says, the bread that we break, is this not participating in the body of Christ? Yes, it is. That's what he told us. He said, because there's one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. And he says, so when, we, when he was telling us on the Last Supper, he says, don't ever forget what I did. When you drink of the cup, that's, that represents my blood. When you eat of the bread, that represents my body. And here is Paul saying, did we not all agree that that's what we're doing here? Are we all not one in this? And he says, consider the people of Israel. Look in 18. Uh, he says, are, are not those are the ones who, who eat the, sacrifi- the sacrifices, participants in the altar? What, what do I imply then? The food offered to idols is anything or, or, or what an idol is anything? No, no, no. He said, I imply what pagan sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? I mean, this is a pretty big warning that he's given. He says, no, no, no. We, we, we need to be very, very careful. And you see this in Paul talking in other letters. When, when we enter into this Lord's Supper, when we start taking the elements and we start remembering it, you know what he's saying? Because he just talked about being tempted by sin. Don't bring sin into this. If you sit down and have unrepented sin, he says, you won't be sitting down to a table with the Lord. You'll be sitting down to a table with demons. He said, because you, you think you're stronger than God? You think you're going to walk into the presence of God and walk into these holy sacraments toting sin? He says, no, no, no. He says, when, they, when the children of Israel begin to go to, to, to these sacrifices that were at the altar uh, to, to God's, he said, in, in, he, said, he said, I'm implying that the pagan sacrifice, what they offer, they're offering that to demons. It's not, if, you, if you go in there and you say this is a false god, what you're really saying, anything that's not God is demonic. So he goes, this is not a, this is not a minor thing. So now let's look at the, the new covenant. We would do the same thing if we bring sin into, into, into us sitting down. Are we not sitting here talking about the blood of Christ, which what? Delivered us from sin. Are we not talking about the body of Christ? Yes, that was given for sin. So if we walk in here like somehow we can do whatever we want because we're stronger than God, he said, this is going to bring, because what did God say? I'm a jealous God. I don't share my glory with anybody. And he certainly doesn't share his glory with sin. He says, so we need to take this very serious. And then he goes on to say, let's do all things to the glory of God, beginning in 23. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. Just because you may be free to do something doesn't mean you should. He said, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. See, this is back to him talking about eight. That's why I'm doing ten. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. How about this? So is something so important to you, you're not willing to give it up if it bothers your neighbor? How, what could be that important to you? He goes, because ultimately, aren't we trying to glorify God? What, would we all not be willing to say that I will give up anything if it might bring you closer to Jesus? Right? You know, how, you go back to the alcohol thing again. Just, just like this, how many people do I know that regret doing this in front of their children? They regret it because their kids said, well, it must not be a big deal. And see, to the parent, it may not have been, but that child is not ready to handle that. And he's saying, this is what I'm talking about. Even if you're free to do something, doesn't mean it's the right thing to do. What you need to ask yourself is this, does it glorify God? 
is what I'm doing glorifying God? Is this like now if somebody says to you, well, I'm very uncomfortable with you saying that Jesus is the only way to heaven. Well, okay, that's non-negotiable. But if somebody says, I really wish you wouldn't eat pork in front of me because, you know, I grew up, you know, a Jewish family and, and I, I do believe that Jesus is Messiah, but I'm still Jewish and I really don't, I don't like for something to be in front of me that isn't kosher and I'd really, I'd prefer not to be around pork. Is a pork chop something that you say, well, I got to tell you something, I can't live without that. I'm sorry, you just have to get over that. No. He said, what in the world is so important that you can't give it up for, 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 for the glory of God? So, so he goes on and he says, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For, for the earth is the Lord and, and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to, to go, eat whatever set before you without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this, is, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I, am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? He's asking these questions. What he's saying is, you draw lines on the biggies. So what he's saying is, if someone is, says, you go into their house and you've decided that you're not going to eat this and you're not going to eat that, then he says, and they, whatever they serve you, eat it. Now, if they do say this has been something that's been sacrificed to some idol and, and there's, there's a de demonic element to that, he goes, it's okay then to inform them of why you won't eat it. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, I've seen people before say, you know, they, they, they bring out and they serve wine and somebody be at the table and, and, uh, and, they'll, and they'll say, well, look, just don't make a big deal about it. And then the person will, will say to them, do you, would you like some wine? The person says no. And then they go, well, why not? Act like they're offended. When the person looks back and says, you know, I had a real problem with alcohol uh, and I was an alcoholic and, you know, I just, I, I was delivered from that uh, through my redemption. So for me, and it's certainly fine if y'all want to have that, I'm not, but for me, I, I, I can't do that. Well, most people would respect that. But, but what you don't do is act like that everybody in there is going to hell if they're having a glass of wine and, and, that, and, and, and that's why you won't have it. You know, if, he says, if you'll take the time to say, here's why I think this is the wrong thing, then that's fine. He said, because, you know, he goes, I won't be denounced uh, because of, of, of my conscience. He goes, if I, if I take what they give me and it's something wicked, you know, like say you're in a place like, you know, with, with this Halloween thing coming up. You, you know, if you don't have to go out and be sanctimonious about someone who's dressing their kids as witches and the devil or serial killers. I don't understand why, why you would want to do that. But what I'm saying is you may, you, you, you would be fine unless they started telling you to do it. You know, because they may not know and you're trying to help them. But if somebody says, hey, your kids are staying over here at my house and we're going to watch a horror movie and I'm going to dress up and we're going to, you know, we're going to get out the Harry Potter stuff and we're all going to pretend like that we're participating in witchcraft. And, you know, there's a time there where you might say, hey, you know what, I don't mean to offend you, but that I can't be okay with because that, that's crossing a line with our faith. You know, my children are not going to even pretend to be involved in witchcraft. Okay, so I can't really go along with that. But, but I mean, if it's something that somebody says, hey, we participate in Halloween and you don't, well, this is not the time for you to, to draw some line if you're trying to win them over, you know. Maybe you say, hey, you know, if y'all if, if are going, hey, we got a fall festival going up at the church and, Hey, if your kids want to come get candy up there too, that'd be great. And whatever they have on, you just, ha you just try to get them to come. They may have something on that is totally inappropriate. But for that moment, you're just trying to get them in the door. But he says, now you do draw lines when somebody's doing something that seems blasphemous. We're not to let that go. Remember, pampering is one thing, helping is another. So then he goes to verse 31. And he says, um, uh, th this is because our freedom must always be balanced with responsibility. But he says in verse 31 that we are responsible to glorify God in all things. Verses 32, 33, we're responsible to seek to win the lost. And here's what he says. So what, whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Bottom line. Did you ever think that you would have that kind of call that even in your eating and drinking, it should be done to the glory of God? Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks uh, to the church of God. He says the bottom line is, don't draw these hard lines with people if it has to do with just Jews don't want to eat pork, don't eat pork. Greeks think pork is fine, eat some pork. That's fine. He says, just as I try to please everyone in everything, I do. Not seeking my own advantage, but that many of them, uh, but of many that they may be saved. 
And then he goes back and says, be imitators of me only the what? As I am of Christ. Paul's not saying be imitators of Paul no matter what. You only imitate me as long as I'm imitating Christ. If I'm not imitating Christ, you have no obligation to imitate me. But here's what he's saying is, be, just be smart. He goes, because what is the ultimate goal? You know, if you're dealing with the, the immature, which is chapter 8, well, you're dealing with people that are trying to grow in the faith. If you're dealing, like in chapter 10, with, with first of all, your own foolishness of thinking you have arrived and thinking that you are above temptation and above sin, don't do that. And at the same time, when dealing with the lost, which is a different deal, he said, when dealing with the lost, I mean, we did, did, do we not have an example? Remember, Peter said, I'm not eating pork. I think the Gentiles are dirty. I don't want anything to do with them. God gave him a dream that he says, don't declare anything that I've created unclean. I want you to go to this man's house, and I want you to go eat whatever he puts on the table, and I want you to go in there, and I want you to present the gospel. And what happened? That man's entire house gave their life to Christ. But see, Peter wasn't going to go in there because he said, well, I'm offended by some of that food. I'm a Jewish man. He goes, well, you've got to drop all that. He goes, uh, he goes, now the church is, is Jews and Gentiles, and you know what? what? Whatever house you're in or wherever you are, be smart. You know, if you've ever had the chance to go to, to countries where people are lost and there may be some different cultures there and everything, uh, tell you what you don't do is start pointing out that everything that they're doing, uh, it's wrong. Well, they don't know whether it's wrong. They don't, know, they, don't know, they don't know what's good or bad. But you don't be pulled in anything that's wicked. But at the same time, just be smart because what is the ultimate goal? Paul said, let me tell you what the wrong goal is, that you want it to be all about you. You can't wait to tell everybody why you don't do certain things. Don't let that be the goal. Let the goal be that you're trying to win people to Christ. I mean, and I will tell you, um, that, and we'll talk about it when we go over chapter 9, the way this show operates, what I do for a living, and we don't always get it right, but what we're trying to do with the entertainment part of the show, the sports part of the show, the talking about the stories of the day part of the show, all of that is, is there for, for no other reason than to try to win people and put them in a position, what? That I may earn the right to share the gospel. Earn the right by establishing a relationship. Because how many of you were brought to Christ by a total stranger? Probably not many. I mean, it does happen from time to time when you're just doing straight door-to-door evangelism. I've seen it happen. Praise God for that. But most of the time, people come to faith after a person they trust has talked to them about what it did for them. But, and where did that trust come from? Now, we can't do this thing that I see sometimes even now in the mission field. Careful, Rick. That's my, that's my conscience uh, in the spirit. Where I wonder if anybody's ever going to share the gospel. Okay, How, how much longer is it going to take for you to earn the right? We're trying to establish relationships. Okay, is it ever going to happen? At what point do you think you've established the relationship? So you don't delay it forever and ever and ever, but you also don't jump right in if it's going to offend somebody. You, you work your way to earn the right. And I will tell you this, as God is, uh, is, uh, is growing me, and, and I'm glad that this is happening, um, it used to be that I wanted to talk about everything under the sun except Jesus. But as I have begun to grow, I would rather talk about Jesus, and it's just flipped. I have to pretend to care about other things. And there was a time when I had to pretend to care about Jesus. It's been completely flipped. Now I have to pretend to care about the game, and I have to pretend to care about, uh, you know, this deal or this thing, And uh, when really I just want to be talking about Jesus. But, it, but, but there was a time when I was a cultural Christian that I really wanted to talk about everything that's what I really cared about, and I had to pretend to care about Jesus. And that's completely flipped. And I hope it just continues to go. Just continue to refine me. But, uh, but, but also take the warning from today as well. It's not about promoting us. It's about helping others. Be wise about what you do and when you do it, and always keep at the forefront that the ultimate goal is to point people to Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for these incredible words and uh, these words of conviction, these words of affirmation, uh, these words uh, that have informed us. Uh, and Lord, I just pray in your name uh, that you'll help us to, to become the people that only you can make us. And, and right now, even if someone in our, our, that has found this Bible study just by something that you um, uh, laid out, something you put together, 
Will you pierce their heart right now, Lord, that they may say, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I leave faith in myself, and I put my faith in you. I want to know you, Jesus. And I know that you love me, but you teach me to love you. And, Lord, if anybody here needs to, that I can help them with, Lord, that they'll just reach out to me, you know, either rick at rickandbubba.com or, or rick at burgessministries.com, uh, and, and then you give me the words to help them. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. Thank you for your time. Talk to you next week.